0: Welcome back to another episode of the Heart Square podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to say that we were joined by David Kens, co founder and managing partner at Emprisia. And we had a chat with him uh, on this episode all about delivering successful projects.
1: Thanks, Ellie. Yeah, it'd be good to hear what David's got to say today, actually. Emprisia um, do a lot of good work in the nonprofit sector, they implement Salesforce uh, for nonprofits and have a number of um, projects under their belt across charity fundraisers and membership bodies uh, and they definitely think a lot about making sure you know assuring project success so yeah it'd be really good to hear what David's got to say looking forward to it
0: yeah no it'd be really great to hear his thoughts and insights so without further ado we'll get into the episode thanks for joining us on the heart square podcast today David it's really great to have you on and have a bit more of a chat um, with you um, so at Huxware, we obviously know a bit about Imprisia and what you do, um, but for the benefit of anyone who's listening who may not know, I wondered if we could kick things off with a bit of an intro to yourself and EMPRISIO and what you do there.
2: Sure. Thanks, Ellie. It's great to be here. Um, so my name is David Cairns. I am founder uh, and managing partner at Imprisio, um founded with two colleagues back in 2017, and um, We exist really to help our customers and clients with what we call digital empowerment. And we do that mainly with those in the nonprofit space and in membership organizations. And what we mean by digital empowerment is helping those organizations get closer to their audiences, whether that's their their donors, their members, their supporters, their volunteers. Um, And really that might mean that it's empowering the staff in those organizations, but equally, we're often putting in place systems that help to empower uh, the the actual external audience as well. So um, we do that through implementing Salesforce CRM. That's the the primary technology that we work with. And in terms of our remit, um, that covers strategic consulting um, through to uh, which, which is focusing on establishing conditions for success and establishing a, a sort of a roadmap that our clients might need to go on through to work on business analysis which is getting under the skin of requirements and definition of processes uh, and ensuring the systems are going to deliver to those and then of course there's the systems design and build um, followed by testing training deployment and, and change management surrounds all of that um, and uh, finally we support systems once they're in life in a business as usual context
1: fantastic thanks david um yeah and obviously you know we we know each other from uh, having worked on, on various projects and as we at heart square see you know the the, the projects that you deliver into that non-profit sector and, and the great work you're doing with membership bodies and stuff so yeah really good to have you here today uh to have a chat and uh yeah just to ask a nice open question to start with i guess you know we talk a lot about project success you've mentioned it yourself already. Um, kind of you know we all have our own opinions on where it starts and finishes what causes it what would you start you know your kind of start of a chain, what would you say is kind of key to to being successful in, dev- in delivering an implementation project let's go for that
2: yeah no it's a really good question and I, I think for us it, it probably would come down to three things um so the first of those is having strong governance around the project um and of course we often play a role in that from our side but um you know we can uh, help the organisations that we work with make sure that uh, that's that's established from their side and the the right processes around governance. And really, for us, we're thinking, you know, what sort of relationship does this organisation want to have with its CRM in, now and in the future? And making sure we're putting the right groundwork in place for that and sort of laying the right foundation. So, yeah, number one, strong governance. I think the second thing would be um, ensuring that we're focused on user adoption and. Um, Ensuring that we're focused on the change management that that often entails, Um, because these projects, um, an implementation project for CRM are as much um, about change and and transformation as they are about the technology. And so, you know, I I often will, will, um, in speaking to our clients, say, you know, as much as 50 percent of this journey that you're on to implement a new CRM or, or transfer your CRM is going to be change. It's going to be driven by Process change—you know, getting your team members to do different things. Um, so it's really important that we get that right, take them on that journey, and make sure they're supported along the way and ready to adopt the system when it goes live. Um, and then the third thing I'd say in terms of project success is um, being careful not to underestimate the data. Um, so I think we might come on to talk about trends in more detail, but certainly. Um, you know organizations realize the power in their data and um, I think have realized that more and more over time. Um, but often uh, you know that can be a, a tricky subject and can be something that needs to be uh, handled carefully and so that focus on data and um, understanding how important that is to uh, get right and to you know be thinking about early when you're moving through this process is probably the the third thing. Um, so yeah, strong governance focusing on user adoption and don't underestimate the data.
1: Excellent. Yeah, they're really good tips. Um, yeah. Can, it, can we just drill into a couple of those, actually, if that's okay? Sure. yeah. Um, particularly, uh, well, I suppose start with governance is a really, you know, it's a kind of a key topic, uh, something we talk about a lot. Um, and it's interesting, you've described it as strong governance, which I absolutely agree with. It's almost kind of, a, okay, what do, we, what do we mean by strong governance? Because you've got, you know, it's about, is it about the model? Is it about the personalities? Is it about the, the different roles? Do you have a kind of a good, or, or, yeah, what kind of what's your perception actually on what strong government, what good governance looks like actually?
2: Yeah, so I think it can vary depending on the organisation. And, and as I said before, often it's about helping the organisation to define the type of relationship it wants to have with its CRM. Um, and some organisations, um, you know, by definition, uh, tend to, start from the point of view of being a bit more transactional around it and you know there's no right or wrong answers here mm-hmm. whereas others really want to take full ownership of it and um you know focus on comprehensive use across the organization and so i think it can vary um but typically we would certainly want um sort of project sponsorship or, or overall crm sponsorship at an executive level which doesn't mean you know the 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 board member, the CEO, whoever it may be, needs to be involved in day-to-day decisions, but certainly there needs to be a regular process where someone from that level of the organization is is engaged. Um, So with a number of our customers, we might run what we call CRM steering groups, typically on a monthly basis, sometimes quarterly. Um, And uh, that will help inform how CRM is working for the organization, help um, channel any requests about future change to the CRM systems. And that sort of thing. Um, and and that, that as a structure, as a, as a framework, you know, can be um, fairly lightweight. You know, it can just be a, a handful of people that um, make up that steering group or, or that project board. Equally, it can um, have representation from across the organisation. And so uh, we've even had CRM steering groups where. There's lots of people holding up numbers to vote for certain new features coming into the CRM. And so, you know, it, it, again, it depends on the organisation because you can get really democratic with it, and that can really inspire, um, you know, organisation-wide ownership, and that might be a, a great driver. Um, or equally, you know, some organisations want to be a bit more in a, um, uh, the, you know, the direction coming from the key stakeholders, and and it's all about rolling it out to the organisation. So yeah, um, I think it can mean different things. In summary. Um, and, and, yeah, we'd often work with that organization from our experience to sort of define the best framework around governance for them.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Overall, that's, that's yeah, really helpful. I think the, the key point you make actually about making sure the governance suits the organization. So it's not that there's, there is a model of good governance or a strong governance, whatever you want to call it. It's not like one size fits all, is it? It's about getting the right model for the given organization. Um, Because I think within that, and you talked about you know executive level sponsorship and steering groups, need those. That what you then have to have is a good relation. I think is a good relationship between that group and the project team that's delivering. So, and again, matching organizational culture, kind of where decisions can be made, how empowered your project group team are. Is that the sort of thing that you also you know you help an organization to to tune and pitch correctly for them? So that because. Sorry, because blockages on decision-making are a real challenge to a project, aren't they?
2: Yeah, indeed. And um, I think, uh, you know, there might be... If, if a particular organisation, uh, this is a topic that they they really care about and, and you know, they're going down that... Uh, I spoke about sort of lightweight, heavyweight before. If they are thinking, you yeah. know, yeah, we really need to focus <laughs> on this, um, then to your point on decision-making, we might, we might um, suggest two or three frameworks. So rather than just governance, there are other frameworks, as we might call them, that work hand in hand with that. So one would be a a framework for governance, uh, which we've already covered. Second might be a framework for user adoption. Coming back to that other point I mentioned being really important. So that is to say, rather than just, you know, how is the organization going to share information and and make decisions from a governance perspective? How is it going to actually um, drive the, the, the user adoption and the change management? Um, and then there might be one around, um, you know, the day to day changes in the system. So this is probably going a bit beyond the life of the implementation itself and into sort of Jeff. business as usual. Um, but I think having those frameworks in place uh, is, is the best way to really get that definition from top to bottom in terms of how that organization wants to relate to its CRM and, and, and sort of broader technology landscape. So it's the governance thing working hand in hand with a, a user adoption framework. And um, a, a sort of framework for how changes to the system are made.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's an excellent description of it, and it plays into the points you made up top. You know, it's not like governance isn't separate from you know that focus on user adoption that you talked about, um, <laughs> and leading to change management. You know, as you said early on, the project, the the implementation of a CRM, which is kind of that success project we're talking about, but is about what you're going to achieve afterwards, isn't it? Yeah. Um So focusing on user adoption you said yourself you know it's not it's you said it's more than tech you know the journey is about more than tech it's actually almost it's almost not about the tech isn't it you know um so when you get into that change management is that the sort of actually sorry how how far involved in change management do you get yourselves or is it more prompting clients to to ensure that they have that strand within them
2: yeah it's another good question and again it it does depend on the organization and um and, and, you know, sort of what investment they're making and how important they um, see that particular topic. Um, but we can and do get fairly heavily involved in it. So often we would have a uh, something we call a, a change management plan as part of what we deliver. Um, and that comes with a, a, a set of materials, a set of sort of documents that we, we join the author and agree with a customer at the outset, um, part of what we call our project charter. And so that is about establishing... What are the conditions for success, and what do we what do we want this implementation to achieve? But it would also do things like establish, uh, you know, the key stakeholders, establish how you know day to day roles are going to change. You know, what are we expecting people to start doing as a result of having this new system in place? What we expect them to stop doing, or, or you know, do more of, continue doing, um, and so those sorts of things are useful to define upfront. Um, so, so, you know, that's fairly common to the majority of work we do to have that upfront definition. And then as we get to the point where, um, you know, we're we're training and rolling out, that's where the change management piece can come back in. And so where we are involved, we tend to encourage organizations to think about it from a point of view of, you know, what, what changes are going to be um, sort of mandated. So, yeah, what are you going to... Yeah you know tell people on the team or or tell your external users even these things have to be different Uh, what things are you going to sort of support um, in terms of uh, you know having uh, training materials having training sessions having um, super users within your organization that can um, you know be points of contact having representatives within the various teams all those sorts of things are are supportive in terms of the change Um, and then the third thing is more along the lines of how to sort of make it fun how to make it stick so what can we do to sort of gamify it can we be um in in a in a in a a fun way you know looking at things like leaderboards for how many people are logging in or how many people are adding new records um and how can we make it part of the fabric of you know day-to-day working life for the organization um so that might even include things like um you know from an HR perspective looking at uh use of the CRM system as part of someone's um, objectives from a Um, from a performance and HR point of view as well. So so those are the sorts of conversations we we tend to get into. In terms of how much we drive that, actually, it's often more about um, getting the organization to drive that and and coming back to those structures and frameworks, having the tools at their disposal to be able to do it under their own steam. Um, But we can certainly help get them to that point.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's excellent. And it is about like you say, doing that upfront, isn't it? So get that expectation out there early, that it is about, you know, what you're, it's about that focus on the long-term objective of the program of work, isn't it? For which the CRM implementation project is one of the levers, you know, but it's about for an organization going through that implementation, it's making sure that they've got their, almost their kind of eyes on the pricing, isn't it? It's, it's what happens after the go live mm-hmm, yeah, yeah and, and keeping that focus on the objectives. so they. Yeah. Yeah. Then, as you say, you're talking about, you know, what the BAU roles, what does the future state look like? Do you yeah, go, exactly. Do you then, because um, yeah, that in our world, that then plays into a kind of a benefits realisation phase afterwards. Do you recognise that as a piece of the work that you're still involved in? Does that come along?
2: Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think we do in the sense that we typically have an approach which would say, you know, let's pick a date. Let's say the first of July is when uh, the organisation organisation system is intended to launch. Mm-hmm. We would then support that um, with what we call go live support for a couple of weeks, which is sort of um, you know almost hand holding um, where we can then, yeah. being on site with the, the customer can sometimes be a good thing. You know where where that is allowed. We're, we're sort of slowly getting back to that post-pandemic. But, um, so we typically have a couple of weeks where we're sort of at their side, just um, getting over any sort of early hurdles or teething problems, which we, we hope to have minimized by that point, given the focus on user adoption. But that's sort of the first couple of weeks. And then about a month in, so this would be 1st of August, on this time frame. we would have a distinct sort of um, checkpoint. And what we would be doing at that is looking back at the project charter I spoke about, and have an early assessment of, you know, have we achieved what we set out to achieve there? Um, Are we starting to see, you know, the right sort of movement on the KPIs that we established up front? Um, And for those organisations that we had um, done some roadmapping with, um, you know, we'd be evaluating, have we taken the right steps on the roadmap or have we achieved a bit more or a bit less and and what would need to adjust on the roadmap? And and for those organisations that um, don't have a roadmap, it's an opportunity to think about, you know, where we go next. So I think whilst we might not refer to it in the same terms of benefits realization, that is certainly, a, a, you know, in that space an early checkpoint of how successful we've been. Um, and it allows us to define what uh, future relationship with that um, customer we might need to have. And it might be that we just move into that support of business as usual. It might be that, you know, uh, we've, we've done enough that the organization is just fully comfortable to take ownership themselves and we, we, we step away for a period of time or indeed there might be a next phase of um, of the development of the CRM that was sort of on the cards or that they want to consider. I apologize, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really good because uh, that, as you say, yeah, sorry, terminology is, is what it is, but it's that piece, isn't it, where that's kind of potentially kind of closing the loop so that you've, mm. you find those KPIs up front, you know, that what your success criteria are up front. Yes. You go through, you know, implementation projects aren't easy, right? They're going to have highs and lows and all that, you know, and that's where you've got to keep people's eyes on that future, where we're going to get to, what we're going to achieve, and then, yeah, you go through that bedding in after the go live and then bring it back around and say, actually, look, it makes people feel good. You know, we're talking about project success, aren't we? You know, it's you've got a mechanism there, which means people can, visit, can tangibly see we have achieved this, we have achieved that, you know, uh, yeah. and that sets them then on the next phase, as you say, whether that's embedding the CRM, changing ways of working with your own business processes mm-hmm. or further technical development, doesn't matter as such, does it? It's about seeing that you've now achieve some of what you set out to do through the process. Yeah. And that's how we feel successful, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, really nice. I like that, that the kind of, the, the way that ties, ties up and comes through. Um, cool. I guess we have to then uh, go back to the, the the data conversation, don't we, that you uh, <laughs> that you mentioned up front. I wrote down, don't under- underestimate the data. It needs to be carefully handled. <laughs> that's a very good description of what, what we all have to go through. Um, yeah you definitely the point you made there was like be thinking about it early get to grips with your data
2: early yeah yeah that, yeah so um if if i was uh, presenting our methodology to you rob <laughs> um which i i won't um try to you know uh, do top to bottom now <laughs> what you would see is that um data migration as a theme almost runs throughout the whole process um okay. and and I think this comes from, you know, uh, earlier experience of trying to treat data or something in isolation at a certain point in the project it is potentially setting yourself up for failure. Because um, if that point is too late, you might have already made some decisions around the design of the system or the functionality of the system that um, you've realized don't accommodate some of the data. Um, and if it's too early, um, you know, you you risk um, designing the system for the data without considering any of the you you know business requirements business processes It needs to be something that, that sort of lasts throughout the project multiple touch points um and essentially um something that uh sort of goes hand in hand with the process of designing the system and rolling out the system um oftentimes as well there are there are more sort of technical challenges with the data um we encounter organizations that struggle to um you know, even get the right permissions to get data out of old systems. Sometimes there's, there's okay. payment attached to doing that. So there can be sort of um, structural barriers, if we put it that way, to even um, an organization getting hands on the data. Um, of course, once uh, they, they do move it and it's into, uh, you know, a cloud-based system like Salesforce, you know, it's very much then their own and they can get access to it any time. But yeah. whereas legacy systems sometimes um, more of a struggle. Um, so, yeah, that, that on its own can be a hurdle. And then um, I guess there's a bit of a learning curve in terms of um, that, that that understanding of how the new systems data model is going to work. And that can sometimes work in a different way, sometimes adding more structure to the data so that you can achieve the right level of reporting. And that results in the data needing to be what we call transformed, which is changed in some way throughout the process. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes the, the, the client will have in-house capabilities to do that, sometimes not. Um, But I think the point I'm making, you can see by the way I'm describing it, it is very involved. So it needs to sort of run throughout the process and have key touch points with the main sort of system design and build process as well. Um, And so, yeah, we're we're in a bit of a similar way to what we're talking about with user adoption. It's not something you can ignore until a certain stage. You need to really look at it at the outset and then throughout.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because, yeah, you know, (coughs) we know systems behave differently when data, when they've got a client's own data in them as well like you say yeah, you know
2: indeed yeah
1: you got a nice shiny system you know and then suddenly you chuckle the data and it's like oh that doesn't work anymore that doesn't do what we expected it to do anymore yeah um but it be overstating it to say that in that there's a case you could make that says it's actually a client's data which is the most it's almost the most significant personalization of a system that you guys build because you know because technically I, I mean i've seen your guys you know they, they they've got the expertise they've got the experience they can get I don't think it's overstating to say that they can get Salesforce to do pretty much anything that anybody wants it to do, you know, technically yeah. in that sense. But actually getting it to do what the client, the business process the client needs with the data that they've got, is yeah. that is that arguably is that kind of the, almost the biggest barrier to success that you need to overcome.
2: Um, yeah, I, I I do see some sense in that argument in from the point of view that um, you know if we've if we've got you know, the the this, this sort of vision of a perfectly configured system that has all the right homes for the right data. And then the client's data doesn't support that because there's holes in it or it's incomplete or actually, you know, um, an expectation of ha- having a, a certain amount of historical data isn't met. Those sorts of things can um, not, not uh, sort of derail anything, but they can result in, initially uh, getting less value from the system because it maybe needs uh, to allow time for that data to build up in 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 sort of the new design or um you know then maybe is a bit of data cleansing or augmentation or that the customer needs to do to really see the full benefit um, yeah. so so yeah in terms of personalization it's a bit of a tricky word because you know it yeah. <laughs> makes me think of you know marketing and, and, and outreach style personalization but in terms of personalizing the system to uh, the the particular client we have, um, then yeah, you know that's why that's that's really what we're saying as well. The data is at the heart of that, um, <laughs> and you know there are pitfalls that we need to watch that um, we we can't get right, and and it, might, it can be about managing expectation as well. So um, coming back to governance and you know exec involvement, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to get in too much trouble if I describe those individuals as, as typically not always, but typically being furthest from the sort of day to day data, and yep. so sometimes there can be a few shocks involved and a bit of expectation management around what um what the data the organization does or doesn't have um and so so that's part of it as well
1: yeah i think and and it's one of the i don't know if it's an irony but it is one of those things isn't it that actually when they have better technology moving from a legacy system yeah they have this expectation that their data is great they know exactly how many members they've got and who's paying their subs weekly monthly annually whatever and then you give them New technology, one of the many benefits of the new technology being that you can access your own data, you can, you know, start to drill into it to gain insights, business decision support, et cetera. And suddenly you find Actually, your data isn't that good. It's not that complete. You've got data integrity mm. issues, um, and there's a, and there's a danger then that people think that this it's a technology issue that the you know the system isn't as good as it as it as they thought it was going to be. Where actually, mm-hmm. it's just surfacing the fact that they need to do some work, and it's resolvable that they yeah. need to do some work on cleansing the data.
2: Yeah, but- yeah. And, uh, there's there's an interesting um, anecdote from a, a, a organisation that we work with that were. Um, implementing Salesforce to move away from, um, they, they needed to report to their their funders and they had one major funder, still do have one major funder. Um, and so prior to having Salesforce, they had been looking at um, lots of different models to report on all the aspects they needed to report on. Um, and many of these would be taking a small sample and then extrapolating that up to their full sort of uh, member base or user base. Um, and so they had all these weird and wonderful ways to, uh, report back to the funder um, and so part of the, um, uh, the the intention for the project was that we could drive that reporting from Salesforce and as you were getting okay. at you know that means it's there it's in real time whether I'm exec level or um, a more junior member of the team I can just load that up and it will show me a, a, a graph that might have taken sort of two months of yeah, yeah. someone working on a spreadsheet to, to formulate before and you're absolutely right that can be a bit of a scary change for organisations. And in this particular case, whilst they had it all, they were slow then to let go of the old methods. And, you know, uh, almost yeah, yeah. We're, we're still in the habit of that. And um, I think, um, you know, it, it did take that strong governance we we're speaking about and, and almost a, a level of organizational confidence to actually yep. say, right, okay, now we can see it here. It doesn't quite match what we had before. There may be a few upsets here that, you know, things may move up or down, but we do yep. understand that this data in the Salesforce system is coming from the real time inputs, it's more accurate than our previous ways. Um, and they actually worked with their funder to move through that process together, which was really successful for them and um, haven't looked back. So nice, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, oh, that's really interesting. And I think we've covered like a lot of topics that we at Artsway definitely speak to as well. So definitely change management, you know, user adoption is something we speak about a lot, and of course, data as well. Hmm. Um, and I know. Um, Previously, uh, you mentioned at the top, you know, trends around data. People are, you know, becoming more aware of the importance of it, really. Um, But just to pick up on that topic, um, just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, is beyond data and data itself, are there any other kind of trends um, you see happening in the sector that people are adopting or equally challenging um, in this space, really?
2: Yeah, I think... um, question around trends is, is always really, uh, really interesting, because I think, given where we are sort of post pandemic, think about macro level, there's probably a couple of two or three um, key t- trends, I think. So one is around organisations wanting to build resilience. And, um, you know, that might be in terms of funding. Um, you know, I was talking to one organisation recently that um, you know, the, the funders have had wobbles as a result of COVID. And, and so they're looking to perhaps diversify where their funding comes from. Um, another way they might be building resilience is in terms of um, getting the right support. So for those organisations that use volunteers, it's, it's sort of shoring up the, um, the volunteer proposition, making sure that is still compelling. Um, you know, for fundraising organisations, it's about you know supporter relationships, et cetera. But that, that I think is a, is a theme at the macro level of, of having that resilience. Mm. um but sort of hand in hand with that is the 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 idea of continually rising to the challenge and obviously you know um whether it's pandemic recovery whether it's um you know the terrible situation in ukraine whether it's you know cost of living crisis there is that constant um you know theme of of you know looking to rise to the challenge and looking to you know strive to to do better which i think is fantastic so um uh, yeah, and then I think at a macro level, the, the the third thing is probably coming back actually to data. It's that realization that that there is power in the data. So a bit of a different point from you know data in the context of the implementation, but data uh, that the organisation owns. It's that sort of penny dropping that, that is that's quite important. And the example I'd use there is um you know th- those sort of organisations in the non profit space that might um, bid on uh, work to deliver. And contracts for, for government or for local councils would often um if we go back a few years not really consider the data as theirs they consider it as funder data and their operations their business process would all be about you know delivering that data back to the funders um, and so i think what has changed and, and you know a, a trend is more so the organization realizing the power of that data for itself and it might still need to Um, send a subset of that or or more back to their funder they need to obviously uh, you know meet their commitments to report back to the funders but that realization actually there is a power there is a value in the data that can be retained within the organization as well um, for its own needs and for its own you know um, future value I think is a a trend at the macro level. Um, So yeah those those I think are uh, some of the key trends at that level and then In terms of more um, sort of what we'd see as day-to-day things, uh, in terms of CRM and what people are asking for, um, we're tending to see, uh, you know, many more of of what we might call foundational requirements being met, and foundational requirements, you know, getting the basics right, being able to see a single view of your um, of your of your uh, donor or a single view of your member in the system, those sorts of things are foundational. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's um, reaching beyond that to say, um, how can we consolidate the different communications channels that we're using? Or how can we, um, you know, have more focus on our CRM and CMS, our our website, working uh, much more uh, closely together, working in harmony? Um, You know, how can we push our self-service capabilities further so um, it's not just allowing for instance, a member to sign up, but it's allowing a member to manage their billing, manage their renewals, and, and do that in a self-service way. Um, So mo- moving away from just the foundational capabilities to actually sort of um, driving forward on things that are, are ultimately um, freeing the, the client team up and delivering more value to the external audience. No, that's, that's really
0: interesting, actually. As you say, you know, obviously a lot has changed over the past few years, and there always will be change. It's just, yeah, as you say, how we become resilient to it. Um, I think I don't know that we've necessarily felt such dramatic change so quickly. And um, so maybe that's why it's come so far to the forefront. And um, yeah, it kind of goes back to what you said, you know, about what you do and you know, getting empowering, you know, people to get closer to their members and their donors, for example. And um, you know, seeing that single view, we all know that 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 helps build that connection. So perhaps that's where where they link together, really. -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I don't know, Rob, you had a comment
1: there as well? Yeah, no, I was just uh, absolutely going to echo what you said. You know, I think you're right about the, you know, that getting the basics, right? It's like the time has passed, where you kind of just kind of you know potter along and, and do your thing and, and rely on the informal unstructured stuff. I think probably because of the, the physical separation of people where where you, you you know the three of us would have been a quite close fundraising team or something like that. And we're just sharing anecdotally and, and it all worked, didn't it, when we could physically be together. And then and actually across both all of what you said there, the getting the basics right and enabling the digital tools and the outward facing tools. Um symptomatic of that the distance that's physical distance that's come between people over mm-hmm. the past couple of years um, but really has driven a lot of innovation I think um and has it's, all, it's kind of raised that baseline hasn't it it said actually that you know you can't be below this line anymore and it's a lot higher than where it was digitally in that respect mm-hmm.
2: um yeah but- yeah definitely and, and I think as well the, there's a um I don't know if demanding is the right word but there's certainly a, a, an expectation from the external audience members as well, um, whether that's whether that's donors or, or um, funders or members, etc. Um, you know, even if we think about um, engagement of younger demographics, Gen Zs. You know, talked yep. to a, a big um, conservation charity recently, where they've had a lot of success with that sort of group, but they're also very conscious that the behaviour is quite different and the expectation is quite different, um, and really starting to connect up. Um, you know, that funding, um, which, you know, maybe sort of even at the micro donation level connecting up what impact that is having on their programs. So I think another trend we're starting to see is, um, I guess, comprehensive use of CRM systems that are organization wide. So you can not just see, okay, this is what the fundraising team is doing. This is how much they're bringing in, but link that through to what programs or service delivery is happening such that you can go full circle and report back to uh, those those donors as to, you know, where their money's been spent in a much quicker way. Come back to that, like, real-time data thing, being able to have that uh, loop happen a lot more regularly, I think, is is a, an expectation or a, or a trend that we're seeing from an external audience point of view as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think even <clears throat> certainly where we've been working with some organisations that, you know, are serving funders and trying, trying to show their impact, Make, adding that self-service component in there as well, so that mm-hmm. even the funders are then able to self-serve, and you know they're not being sent a, a quarterly report or anything on those lines. It's like literally real yeah. time back again. You know, so you've got to be really spot on with your data, as you say. You've got to join everything up and mm-hmm. present it outwardly. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting how that all all kind of, let like, say, ties up on mm-hmm. those things. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah,
0: Thank you. Definitely. Yeah, so I think, you know, that brings us to time today. So um, I just want to thank you so much for again for joining us on our podcast today. We've covered some really great points there and topics and some really great take-home advice as well. So, yeah, thank you again for joining us.
2: Well, it's great to be here and uh, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, David.
0: So we hope you enjoyed that episode. It was really great to sit down and have a chat with David and for him to share his insights on project success with us. Um, I found it interesting how he you know, covered those three key areas of strong governance, user adoption, change management and the importance of data um, and just have a bit of a deep dive on those and, and how they actually impact project success.
1: Yeah, I think it's really, um, really good to hear from David, actually, because he's obviously they obviously put a lot of thought into making sure that projects are successful. You know the three areas you highlighted, um, and then within that, so you've got that kind of those baseline structures that they know are really important. And then within that, tailoring things to an organisation. You know, making sure that people are thinking about the transition to business as usual, establishing success criteria early. Uh, you know, for some organisations, the idea of gamifying elements of the training, maybe, or the adoption. Um, so, yeah, really, really good insight from, from David there, actually, and uh, an interesting episode.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, it was really great. So, if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, be sure to leave us a review and, even better still, subscribe so you get late, na- notified of the latest episodes. Don't forget you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching HeartSquare where you will find loads more content on the themes of leadership, digital culture and capability. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.